This is Wessler Media. For me, I'm a pastor, and I deal with real people, people just like you every day, people that have a hurt or they have something going on, and they're trying to figure out, how do I deal with this? And I always know Jesus has the answer. He has that next step for you. Let's open up the Word today and see what God will say specifically to you. Today on Your Next Step, we're going to talk about the real Jesus. I hope you're ready for this because it really, really matters. It's actually a family matter. You know, we're looking at the the real Jesus, the real God, the real Word of God. We're, we're, we're unpacking how God's message to you and I is real. Here at the church next door, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and it transforms your life. And the reason that you and I gather and worship, the reason we're here today is we want to apply it to our life. Now, why is John's perspective on Jesus so important? Well, John was Jesus's cousin, so it really was a, a family matter for him. And, and, and John invited you and I to believe in Jesus as very real. Think about this. In John, he says that Jesus is the bread of heaven. I am the bread of heaven. John puts that in Jesus' mouth. He says, I am the light of the world. That's another reality of Jesus. And then thirdly, I am the resurrection of the life. And, and so you and I, when we look at Jesus, he's real. He, he, he always was intended to be a part of our life. Every time you eat bread, you say, you know, Jesus is real as bread. Every time the lights come on, every time the sun comes up, you know that. And what's the promise? His promise is he'll be the resurrection of life. Take another step with me. Let's open up the Word of God and the Gospel of John today. I'm Pastor Doyle. Today we're talking about real Jesus, real Jesus. And the reason that is, is because John, what he wants to do is give you and I a picture of the real Jesus. Now let me tell you about John because it helps you understand the real Jesus. We've been looking through these different people that are real people in the Bible, and this is what we found, is that if you know that they're real, it adjusts the way you relate to them. For example, all right, I had the privilege of going to school uh, with Billy Graham's nephew. That's right. Billy Graham's nephew and I went to school together. He lived across the hall from me when I was in seminary. And I remember it because he would talk about it, and he would talk about it this way. He would say, Uncle Billy. Huh. And so from then on, I had a different way of relating to Billy Graham. Instead of this great evangelist that we all know that have impacted our world and I always think of him as Uncle Billy. He was a real person. He was a real person. And see, once you know somebody, or you know somebody who knows somebody, you want to know, well, give me the inside scoop. Is Billy Graham really nice? You know what I'm saying? And he was. I got to meet him, and he was just a kind, gentle man. Every person that talks about him that I've heard talks about him that way, all right? Well, John talks about Jesus in a different way from other people because he knew him as the real Jesus for him. John actually, John actually describes himself as the most loved or the most beloved of all the disciples. I love that. I can relate to that. 
Because you've heard me say it before, I know that I'm my mother's favorite. It's just a fact, right? Now, if you meet my brothers, they'll tell you a similar thing. They'll say, oh no, I'm mom's favorite. You know, why is that? Because this is what we believe. We believe our mother is extremely loving. And she just gives that off. And so I believe when you open up the Gospel of John and you read John's account of Jesus, what he wants you to get across is this. If you would get to know Jesus, I want you to know, you'll walk away believing that he loves you more than anyone else in the world. You'll walk away and you'll say, no, you don't understand. Jesus, he may have died 2,000 years ago, but what he's done for me is proof that he loves me more than anyone else in the world. And if you'll get to know Jesus, he'll love you the same way. That's so powerful. So powerful. where Where does John get this? How can this be? Well, if you would, just give me a few minutes. I want to unpack who John was and the context. Some of what I'm going to tell you is not written in Scripture, okay? But the historical facts around it help us go, oh, wow. You see what I'm saying? It's so I want to do that with you. Um, in, in, in the time of Jesus and the world of Jesus and the world of John, we have certain things that are in Scripture, like it tells us in, in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give a certain perspective on Jesus. It's about what Jesus did and what Jesus said, okay? And they're very similar accounts. Uh, Mark's account is the shortest, and more than likely it is the first account of the Jesus story. And then later, Matthew came along and he wrote his account, and he was trying to fill in some gaps and explain some things because he had a particular audience in mind and he wanted to help them understand Jesus and what it meant to be a disciple. And then Luke came along. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. If you, if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to it. Because Luke, uh, he came to know Jesus through Paul's ministry when he was living in Asia. Luke was a doctor. And then Luke got to visit the Holy Land. And, and Luke went and investigated it. He went and visited the different people. And he wanted to make sure everybody understood this was historical. This happened in this place. And he, with surgeon's precision, gives us every detail. And he becomes the ancient world's most famous historian. Well, John arrives. It's a different period of time. John grew up and and he he was one of the disciples with Jesus. We know because of the Matthew, Mark, and Luke accounts that Jesus comes along the shore of the Sea of Galilee one day. Peter and Andrew are fishing, okay? And, And Jesus says, come follow me. And then it says, next to Peter's boat was his partner, okay? His partner in the fishing industry, Zebedee and his two boys, James and John. So it clues us in there that James and John were part of a family business with Peter. Now, the reason it says James and John is the same reason at my house we talk about Alan, Philip, and Doyle. I'm always the last in the list. That's because I'm younger and I'm more handsome. It's because I'm the beloved one. Because guess what? Once my mama had me, she's like, that's the end. No more. We don't need any more. We have perfection. <laughs> I like you guys. You get this. So when, when, when John is described in the other accounts, he's the younger brother, okay? 
And he's part of this family business, and, 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 and he's being invited into this. Now, what you and I don't see from culture is that in the ancient world, well, the way it worked was this. Your education went to you were about age 15, all right? And at age 15, you had two tracks you needed to go on. The best track, the most economically good for you track, it's same to this day, is continue your education. And you would go to work under a rabbi. So at age 15, you'd go get an internship, a scholarship pro <clears throat> program where you studied under a rabbi. So you would try to get entrance into one of these rabbi schools, and you would follow that rabbi. They would teach you, and, and, and you'd just be one of their followers. The other track was if you didn't matriculate into the education path, then you had to go towards an internship of a job. Very similar to the world in which you and I live. So at 15, education ends, or you follow a rabbi, or you go to work, more than likely, in the family business. That's where, that's where James and John were. And John tells you the story, and he says, I want you to know about Jesus, and I want you to know that he was my rabbi. But when Jesus grabs these guys, they're not necessarily following rabbis. Now, Peter and Andrew and James and John had all followed, they had all followed John the Baptist for a period of time. They're listed as shifting from John the Baptist over to Jesus in this process, okay? They've been listening to John going down. He was the rabbi, okay? Now, <clears throat> what we know about John the Baptist is this that he is related to Jesus, right? We know because of the story of Mary and Elizabeth and the leaping in the womb and the joy that comes from that, that they are cousins. What you and I miss is the relationship with John. Now, let me just stop for a second because I want to remind you again what I want you to get from John. John wants you to take away not just the what Jesus did and said, but the who he was. Look in your notes. I wrote it down because I want you to get this, okay? It's really important. John's perspective on Jesus and the church are unique as the one who was closest to Jesus while on earth. His chief concern seems to be that we know more than what Jesus did and said and realize who he was, who Jesus is. So who was Jesus to John? Jesus was more than just John's rabbi. Look at what it says in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, John, John was standing there at the cross with the women. Why was John there at the cross with the women? 
I believe John was there at the cross with the women, more than likely because John was the youngest of the disciples. John could have been 15, maybe younger, maybe 16, when Jesus called him out of his boat to drop his nets. Now, just from my perspective, 14, 15-year-old boy working nets with the father's business and someone gives me an opportunity to leave, I'm out of there, baby. I'm getting that. But, but John, more than likely, at the cross, it's three years later, he's still pretty young. He's not allowed in that culture to be running around without a rabbi, without, without a mentor, without someone over him. And John, oh my gosh, I'm stuck with the women again. But Jesus looks at him at the cross and he says, you're still here with me to the end. And you're standing there, and I want you to know something, John. I need you, I need you to do something extra special for me. I need you to take care of my mama. My brothers aren't here, and I'm about done with this life in this way. Watch my mother. And there's a bond between men at this level. There's a bond when a man in a hard place like that looks at another man, and they ask that, it's a done deal. That's a done deal. Now, what's interesting is this. The, the, the thing that the, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but this is what I believe. I'm good with it. I believe that John was Jesus' cousin. Now, this is why. In the same way, the Bible does not say for you that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but it gives you the connection there, and you're like, well, that, that makes sense. When you look at the other accounts of Jesus and the cross, when, when you look at, at Matthew, it says that standing at the foot of the cross is this group of women. Mary of Magdala is there. The, the wife of Zebedee is there. And then it goes on to describe these other women. And then when you, when you look at, at, at the other uh, gospel, it says that Salome, the mother of James and John, but here in John, John refers to his mother as the sister of Mary. That would mean that Jesus was his cousin. It totally changes the story. It totally changes the way you relate to it because when, it, when, when, when James and John are described at different times, they are described as a fiery boys. I mean, they are something else. They're called the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder. And I read that and my first thought is, well, does that mean that Zebedee had gas? <laughs> and then another part of me thinks, no, if Jesus was their older cousin, if Jesus is in his 30-ish, okay, and they are teens, then Jesus was in the house at Salome and Zebedee when they were running around and they were a thunderous herd in the house. And they've always been this day. They've always been two rambunctious brothers, full of energy. Dad had to have them on the boat just to keep them tuned down maybe. The Bible tells us that there's this one account when Jesus is in Samaria and he's dealing with the Samaritans and, 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 James and John run up and say, 
do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? I mean, their first gut reaction is to do something wild like that. And you know what I see in that? I see a couple of young men that are a lot like Peter. What's Peter doing? On the night Jesus betrayed, he's whipping out his sword. He's cutting off. Their first reaction is, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. They were probably a thunderous, energetic, fiery couple of guys. Notice this. When Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's Peter, James, and John. Pete, Jim, and John. Pete, Jim, and John. You read through it again and again. It's like, Pete, Jim, and John. What's, what's, what's this deal? Why, why, why are these guys so special? It says when they get to Jerusalem, Jesus looks at Peter and John. And he says, I have a special assignment for you. Would you do me a favor? Would you too? Go get the donkey, a colt. They ask you who sent you, just say the master does. And John was a part of that. You realize that Peter is the only one listed among the disciples as being married. It says that Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and so Jesus went to her house and healed her so she could get up and make dinner. Let's not even discuss the sexism in that, but it tells us a truth about the relationship Peter, more than likely, is the eldest disciple. He's the only one that's married. The rest of these guys are high school age, and more than likely, John is the youngest. And the night that Jesus had communion with them, John is leaning up against Jesus. He's like a, just leaning on him. Cousin Jesus. When John looked at Jesus, he saw a man through the eyes of a a teenage boy who's wanting to be a man, who's, who's longing to have a life of meaning and purpose. And in the same way, if you had an older cousin in your life or maybe an older brother or an an older sister that looked at you and they threw you the keys when you were 16 and said, come on, let's go for a drive. You're driving. And you suddenly, you felt all this respect, all this love, all this trust. That's John. And on the cross, he looks down at Jesus and he says, okay, son, the ride's not over, but I need you to watch my mom now. History of the Christian church, the tradition is, is that John watched after Jesus' mom. Later on, the church in Jerusalem is persecuted. It's scattered across the earth. We have that historical information. Vespasian comes, plows down the city because a false messiah by the name of Bar Kokhba. So the Christians have to leave Jerusalem. More than likely, John makes his way to Ephesus. Ephesus becomes the center of of the church's sending units. It's where they keep meeting and sending people out because Jerusalem is, it's still part of us. There's still some people there, but it's not the, it's not the, the sending church, the powerful church getting the word out. And John is teaching there. And they, everybody already has Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John sees the church growing. Paul is now gone. Peter is now gone. He's aging. And he looks at the church and he, and he sees what's going on in the church and he becomes concerned. 
He's the last apostle, the last disciple. He knows Jesus so well. The church is skewing two ways. One way the church is skewing is out here towards grace. And people have been focusing so much on God's grace and God's love that they're saying, God's grace is so good, you don't even have to clean up your life. You don't have to, to get rid of the sin. And, and that becomes a concern. And what John is writing to is he's, he's writing to a people, and he says, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. Love is all about Jesus, but you must understand something. Jesus came to cleanse us of our sin, to redeem us out of the pit and give us a new life. And it's in relating to him that you can have freedom from sin. Wherever Jesus went, he accepted people, but he said, I want you to, to, to throw away the old life and take up a new. He, he said things like, you know, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it can't produce. That old way of life has to die. Now, the other extreme is a church that has become legalistic. They got a list of rules and the right things and wrong things you've got to do. And, and, and these people think that they can do it. In the, and John would say, no, no, you, you're missing it. You still need God's love and you need to, There are some things you shouldn't do, but please let his spirit, let the spirit of God guide you not man-made rules. And he said, you guys have got to stop focusing so much on, on the what Jesus did and what Jesus said. You need to know who Jesus was. Let me tell you, he loved me. He wanted me to be a part of what he was doing. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to live your life under the grace, under the awareness that you are beloved by him and serve with him. And that's the perspective John writes. When John writes, he, he makes this whole series of statements out of Jesus' mouth. He says, this is what Jesus said. See, John's perspective, when John talks about Jesus, it's so personal. He gives you these one-on-one -on -one interactions. He tells you the story. He gives you the tidbit that the others don't. That when, 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 they, when they were at the Last Supper and Jesus goes to wash their feet, that Peter argued with Jesus. He said, oh no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Then he says, oh Jesus, wash all of me. How could John know that? Because John was right there next to him. He was listening in like a little brother, tattletelling on you for staying out too late. Jesus was on the end. I mean, John was on the inside scoop with Jesus. Now in your notes, look at this, because this is really important. He's the one that says to you and I that Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. Jesus is the one that said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five. 25. In John's gospel, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Why does John keep saying this? I am, I am, I am. Because he wants you and I to know that Jesus is the I am. That Jesus is the I am of the burning bush. That Jesus is the I am and he will be for you. Miss part of the show today and want to hear more? Well, you are invited to download and subscribe to Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. I really need you to help me right now because the Bible says that if we agree, it's more powerful and it impacts even the angelic hosts. So would you just, just stop with me and agree in prayer right now what you're doing? Just listen intently 
and agree in your heart that God might move. Right now, let's take a moment and pray for the bereaved, people that are grieving. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because he said, blessed are those who mourn, and we don't like that at all. We don't like mourning. We don't like loss. We don't like the grief process. Yet, yet death entered this world because of our sin, because we disobeyed and we ate of the tree of good and evil. You, you warned us. And, and this is what happens, God. Death confuses us and we lose our bearings the same way Adam and Eve did immediately. They were aware that they were naked. They felt ashamed and they were far from you. And that's what grief does to us. That's what death does to us. We feel far from you. And right now, God, there are people in our lives, friends and family members, even ourselves. We're dealing with a grief, a loss. We've dealt with so much loss. People have moved away. People have changed jobs, and yes, people that we've loved have died. All of that is grief and so much more, and we were powerless to fix it. But in that grief, we run to you. We come to you like the prodigal coming home, saying, I thought I could do life without you, and and I need you right now. I need you, God, to heal the grief. I need you, God, to take up that place that they had in our lives. God, we cast our cares on you. We lay our grief at your feet. We know that you know what it was like because you saw your own son murdered on a cross. Lo, though we walk through the valley today, you are with us, and we will not be afraid because you're going to guide us, you're going to tend to us, and we celebrate that today through the power of Jesus' name, and it's in his name we pray, you are with us. Amen. Well, I just love praying. You know, my life has been forever changed by prayer. Everyone who comes to know Christ's life is changed by prayer, and we want to help you grow in prayer. So we're inviting you today as one of our friends and part of this ministry to go to yournextstepnow.com and we will give you a free prayer guide. It's an ebook. All you have to do is give us your email address. Your email address at yournextstepnow.com and you get our free prayer guide and you can join us every day. Be a part of the ministry. This has been Your Next Step, a ministry of the Church Next Door in Columbus, Ohio. We hope this has been an encouragement to you as you seek to have a deeper faith in Christ. If you'd like to hear today's show again or share it with a friend, look for Your Next Step on all major podcasting platforms. We'd love to see you soon at the church next door. Easily find our service times and our app. I'm Pastor Doyle Jackson. Join us again next time for Your Next Step. I believe you're going to find people that have a genuine love for God and a genuine zeal for the truth. You don't have to dress super fancy. It's so lively and it's so much fun and just you leave like, oh, so refreshed. And I know I keep saying family, but that's what this place is for me. It's family. I'm Doyle Jackson, pastor of the church next door. People keep telling me how good it is to worship God together again. Well, Come join us. Visit us online at thechurchnextdoor.org. Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wessler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook that will preserve those memories for generations to come. 
Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text 1-833-38-STORY, 1-833-38-STORY, or visit wesslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R media.com. The production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit wesslermedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast, from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com.